I really wish they had shut it down. This omnibus thing has passed this ludicrously big bill. This is not the way the country is supposed to be run. I know that. You know that. They know that. Maybe they don't care anymore. You saw it, right? 4,000 pages. I think this is only a smidgen of it. A smidgen. $1.7 trillion. And inside, of course, all kinds of crazy goodies. Yep, goodies. If you call these goodies, I don't know, $65 million for the restoration of the Pacific salmon population. Okay. I think there's something for, yeah, uh, the Nancy Pelosi Federal Building. Remind me not to go to that. And a walking trail for Michelle Obama somewhere in Georgia. But the problems are far deeper than that. And the whole thing, quite frankly, is offensive to me and probably you as an American. It's not supposed to be this way. This is too big. <laughs> for our elected leaders to handle, but not for the swamp. Oh, not for the swamp. Anyway, what did good old Abe Lincoln say how America's supposed to be? Government of the people, by the people, for the people. Abe Lincoln, wow, love it, love it. Unfortunately, tragically, we don't have anything like that. We have government of the government, by the government, and for the government. This is not the way it's supposed to be. And the government, I feel, sadly, I love our country, but the government is totally out of control, crazy. And did you see this this week? Life expectancy in America is declining. Average life expectancy, 76 point. That is down nearly three years since 2019. Yes, there's COVID, but also fentanyl, what they call the death of sorrows, I think. We are a nation in decline, and the government is not living up to its part of the bargain. Remember, our founding principles, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's what they're, that's what they're supposed to arrange for us, right? No, what they're arranging is for themselves. Take a look at this. This is a massive government complex. This is the new IRS headquarters. Does that look like it's dedicated to our life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. No, I think that's the last thing they have in mind right now. There's been a huge overreach by our government. It's been happening for a while, but after 9-11, we had to do some things as a country, but I think we went too far. I think we went way too far, and the government grabbed so much power. And January 6th, another excuse to seize more power. It's a pretext. And as a pretext, you got to exaggerate it. you got to make it more than it actually was. You've heard about the 800-page January 6th report. It's finally out. And I know it's bogus. I know it, actually. And so do you, if you've been watching this show. But uh, they're glamorizing themselves, glorifying themselves, those who wrote it, the staff, the people, all of them. Look at the glory photos that they've been They've been taking one after the next, right? Glamour shots. <laughs> Remember glamour shots down at the mall? Uh, they love this stuff. I mean, they just keep showing up, and the fake news keeps providing them all of these glamour profiles. Get over yourself. You know what you guys really look like, what politicians really look like? Uh, let me show you the January 6th committee in their natural habitat, all right? They're just a bunch of grubby career politicians, all right? They're not better than anybody else. Enough with the glamour, all right? And you all should be ashamed with this report. No, it's fake news. And you know what? I was surprised. A guy on MSNBC today, uh, he, for the most part, he had it right. Listen to this.
the fact of the matter is that these people should have never been able to penetrate uh, the U.S. Capitol. And uh, the, the report comes out with very weak uh, recommendations. If you look at all the chapters, the first five chapters aren't really even about January 6th. It's all about Donald Trump. And and then the, and the, the recommendations of all the recommendations, there are really two that stand out from a Homeland Security standpoint. And, it, and they're particularly anemic, in my, my, in my opinion. Yeah, it was like uh, we need to focus more. It was so lame. And the chapters, he's absolutely right. Chapter one, the big lie, right? Talking about the election in a way they don't agree with is uh, that fueled January 6th. That led to January 6th. Cha chapter two, Donald Trump on the phone with officials in Atlanta. Somehow this had something to do with January 6th. Chapter three, fake electors and the president of the Senate strategy. Hey, where's the chapter on Lieutenant Michael Byrd and Ashley Babbitt, huh? Chapter, chapter four, just call it corrupt and leave the rest to me. Look, politicians talking politics. This is not against the law, but they want to try to make it against the law. A coup in search of a legal theory. I noticed that's in quotes. Who, uh, who actually uttered that first? Be there. Will be wild. I remember that tweet. It did not happen on January 6th. You see, they're trying to criminalize speech. They're trying to make the word. You can't say wild anymore. You can't. Uh, oh, 187 minutes of dereliction. This is an amusing one for me. Uh, somehow Donald Trump is supposed to be the security guard in chief. You know, they were... The national security apparatus, apparently, they told the January 6th committee, waiting for the president to call them. The president is supposed to be monitoring security cameras like a security guard and calling the police. It doesn't work that way. They know it doesn't work that way. Yet they tried to deceive everybody. They almost got away with it. They're not deceiving me. Mark Milley. It doesn't work the way he's pretending it works. Yeah. Hey, the Commander-in-Chief, you got an assault going on on the capital of the United States of America. And there's nothing. No call. No calls. No calls. Did you call him? Did the speaker call him? Hey, did Vice President Mike Pence call the president? They did it. They're just sitting around waiting for a phone call. This is not the way government works. This is not the way presidential decision making works either. Um, the president, President Trump, betrayed by the entire swamp and people who were supposed to be at least. I mean, I get it. You don't like Trump, but he is the president of the United States. Give him some options. They didn't. Are you aware of any phone call by the president of the United States to the former president, Donald Trump, in a hypothetical 2024 rematch and Trump already on the president of the United States to the attorney general of the United States that day? No. Are you aware of any phone call by the president of the United States to the secretary of Homeland Security that day? I, I'm not aware of that. No. Do you know if you asked anybody to reach out to any of those that we just listed off, National Guard, DOD, FBI, Homeland Security, Secret Service, Mayor Bowser, the Capitol Police, about the situation in the Capitol? I am not aware of any of those requests. No, sir. Oh, goodness gracious, the president wasn't calling people. Did you hear Liz Cheney? Did the president call the Secretary of Defense? Did the president call the Attorney General? Did, the Did any of them call him? They didn't. And I'm starting to think they didn't on purpose. Okay, this. Oh, this was a 
this was a sham and a plot, I think, to get him. Uh, so the big report finally dropped. Oh, before we get to that, Donald Trump was getting calls, though. People were telling him, hey, you got to say something. And guess what? He did. He's, he's tweeting all afternoon and made a stay peaceful, go home. This 187 thing is a myth. It's a myth. So the big report finally comes out. And I think on some level, the fake news, they understand that they don't have the goods on Trump. They don't. It's, it's smoke and mirrors. So this thing happens last night. And they're confused. It's not easy. It's 800 pages long. So what do they do? They panic a little bit. And they start to make mistakes. So this is the big report we've all been waiting for, right? MSNBC, fake news central, top of the news. This guy at 10 o'clock. Take a look. This committee report is tonight the single most important committee report in the history of House congressional committee reports. That is what we now have in our hands tonight. And that report would not be what it is and would not have the import that it has without the testimony of the star witness to that committee. Today, the January 6th committee released the transcript of the most important testimony the committee received from the committee's most important witness, 26-year-old Cassidy Hutchinson. The committee has found not a shred of evidence to in any way reduce what appears to be the solid credibility of the committee's star witness, Cassidy Hutchinson. Cassidy Hutchinson. Every liberal anchor and staff member down there in D.C. seems to have a real infatuation with Cassidy. I remember her testimony from last summer. I laughed out loud. It was ludicrous. It was gossip. It was hearsay. This is the most important thing that emerged, right? This is all confirmation of what Cassidy... Listen to what Cassidy said. A little reminder. I looked at Tony and he had said, did you effing hear what happened in the Beast? Tony proceeded to tell me. I recall. Tony, Tony said this, Tony said that. And by the way, Tony, you shouldn't be using the F word at work, especially in front of a female. Me too, anybody? All right, so Tony said this, Tony said that. Cassidy Hutchinson's the most, what the heck did Tony say? Uh, Bobby and Tony and the rest of them, they don't back up. They don't back up what Cassidy is saying. They're not sticking to their earlier stories. Anyway, so this is the big news. Cassidy Hutchinson, last night, January 6th, the big report is out, and now everyone's talking about some lawyer she talked to two years ago. And we learned in her full testimony released today that the first lawyer who represented her in dealings with the committee will face disbarment proceedings in Washington, D.C., and will face prosecution for suborning perjury if Cassidy Hutchinson's testimony is believed. Today, that lawyer whose possible criminal conduct was exposed in the release of Cassidy Hutchinson's testimony today issued a written public statement saying that he did nothing wrong, but he is resigning from his Washington law firm. Heads are going to roll! Some lawyer nobody's ever heard about is in trouble. And by the way, he shouldn't be. This guy shouldn't be. Get to the, they threw him under the bus, his law firm. 
Can't stand the heat. Can't stand somebody saying about you on Twitter, huh, for 10 seconds. Next. In her testimony, Cassidy Hutchinson says that the first lawyer who represented her, Stefan Passantino, who worked in the Trump White House, quote, page 42, Stefan never told me to lie. He specifically told me, I don't want you to perjure yourself, but I don't recall isn't perjury. They don't know what you can and can't recall. On page 36, Cassidy Hutchinson says, I said, but if I do recall something, but not every little detail, Stefan, can I still say I don't recall? And he had said yes. For that one word, yes, Stefan Passantino should be disbarred if that testimony is believed and should be convicted of suborning perjury if that testimony is believed. Wow. Stefan, I have a feeling he's being picked on. And the whole damn thing is irrelevant. Uh, I thought this was about democracy hanging on, you know, hanging in the balance or something like that. No, it's about the uh, spat between a lawyer and a client. Cassie Hutchinson goes on. And I said, but if I do remember things, but not every little detail, and I say I don't recall, wouldn't I be perjuring myself? And he had said, Stefan had said something to the effect of, the committee doesn't know what you can and can't recall. So we want to be able to use that as much as we can, unless you really, really remember something very clearly. And that's when you give a short, sweet response. Uh, wait a second. She's just guessing. She's just, what does she say there? Stefan had said something to the effect of, had said something to the effect, leave this Stefan guy out of it. And they're talking about, like, this is a big deal. Leave him the heck out of it. Cassidy Hutchinson, what a high-maintenance drama queen. And boy, oh boy, again, they're eating out of our hand down there in Washington, D.C. It was hearsay. It was nonsense. It was gossip. And this is the crown jewel of witnesses. This is what January 6th, this is the tent pole holding it all up. Got to admit, she even <laughs> fooled some of the conservative media. Brett Baer was swooning as well. This testimony was very compelling from beginning to end. She obviously had access to all of the players. What was so compelling, I think, is, is how it was laid out. We always point out that there's not a pushback, and it would have been great to hear Jim Jordan or some congressman say some other angle to this, but the testimony in and of itself is really, really powerful. Was really, really weak. And if Jim Jordan isn't there, uh, what about you pushing back? I mean, it was hearsay. Right. It was somebody saying what somebody else said about something. She did not see a damn thing. Anyway, enough with her. Enough with January 6th. We got real problems. You know, China is moving in on Taiwan. And why wouldn't they? What the heck is America going to do right now? And I think China has the goods on Joe Biden through Hunter. We're compromised. America's compromised because Joe and Hunter and that silly laptop and going over there and doing who knows what. They know more about him than we do. And that's really bad. 
But Joe says we're going into 2023 strong. I thought this was a spoof. It reminded me of a meme, actually. Joe tweeted this alone in the Oval Office going into 2023 strong. Joe alone in the Oval Office, it doesn't seem strong. And it reminds me of one of my favorite memes of 2022. I think, um, I don't know who made this, but it's great. Take a look. Good stuff. Uh, that is strong. Anyway, we'll be right back. Christmas is almost here. Joe had that Christmas speech last night, and it didn't put me in the Christmas mood. Uh, put me in a bit of a foul mood, actually, but uh, I'm not going to let him ruin Christmas. But why does he keep doing this? Really, it's bad form, and um, maybe I'm being tough. I don't know. No, I'm not being tough. This is wrong. So many people struggle at Christmas. It can be a time of great pain and terrible loneliness. <clears throat> I know, like many of you know, <clears throat> it was 50 years ago this week that I lost my first wife, my infant daughter, in a car accident. My two sons were badly injured when they were out shopping for Christmas trees. I know how hard this time of year can be. Well, a couple things. All times of year can be tough for those who are suffering. And everyone has endured tragedy or will endure tragedy someday. And I'm sorry, when he talks about that story, and it was a horrible thing that happened 50 years ago, it's like he's bragging. And I know that because Joe Biden said as much. In one of the earliest profiles of him as a United States senator, he told national journalist Kitty Kelly that uh, the death made him a hot commodity. From inside that story, let's go ahead and read it. Uh, I have no illusions about why I am such a hot commodity either. I am the youngest man in the Senate, and I am also the victim of a tragic fate, which makes me very newsworthy. Hot commodity. Hot commodity. And he won't stop talking about it. And sometimes he exaggerates it for political purposes. I think that's really wrong. What do you think? And this? I sincerely hope this holiday, this holiday season will drain the poison that has infected our politics and set us against one another. He has the power to do that every single day. He doesn't have to wait till Christmas Eve to say that. But he doesn't want that. He doesn't want the poison to leave our life. If he did, the least he could do is pressure his Justice Department to do something other than harass Donald Trump. Did you know that attacks on Christian churches have tripled in the past four years? And over the past year, we've seen horrendous attacks and almost no progress from law enforcement on uh, pregnancy resource centers. These are pro-life facilities. It's happening all over the country. Portland, Oregon, Madison, Wisconsin, anti-abortion office, uh, firebombed. It looked like no arrests. Same in Buffalo, New York. These cases are outstanding. An anti-abortion clinic hit. No arrests. Back to Oregon, June 11th, a pregnancy center. No arrests. Uh, if these were, oh, by the way, abortion clinics, 
<laughs> the FBI SWAT team would be on permanent uh, watch. So this isn't right. You know it's not right. I know it's not right. But this kind of cavalier attitude toward constituents, citizens, it's pretty common in the Democrat Party, also the Republican Party, but really bad with the Democrats. Take a look at this clown. New York remains the safest big city in America. We have to be clear on that. We are still the safest big city in America. And in 2023, we're going to push this city to be safer. Well, it is a flat out lie. New York is in a total free fall. Crime is up double digits. <laughs> it is. And there's no media to actually put a guy like this in his place to portray him as the liar that he is. People can go on axe-wielding rampages at a McDonald's and be free six hours later. Literally, that guy got out six hours later after terrorizing people with an axe. Next, uh, people getting stabbed all over the place. This is the new reality. You can't, by the way, if you have a nice watch or jewelry, if you come to New York, uh, leave them at home. You want to come to a Broadway show in New York? I'd put that off until 2025. This is not the place to come right now. Oh, also this, as far as uh, phoniness and just not caring. I don't like wearing a mask. Do you like wearing a mask? It was en en enough with the masks. Eric Adams, because, well, you got to say something. You got to do something. He's the mayor. Might as well say something. So he said this on Tuesday morning. How do we enjoy the holidays and spread love without spreading the virus? Make sure that if you're in surroundings that you're unsure about, that you wear face covering. All right. Got it. Got it. Wear a mask. That's Tuesday morning. Tuesday night, he's at a party with a bunch of people he's never met before. <laughs> no mask. No mask. It's... Uh, it's classic politician talk. Uh, I will say this. Sometimes it can be pretty brazen, more so than other politicians. They're kind of like kind of sneaky about getting the goodies. This guy is out in the open, always has been. Show me the money. Show me the money. That's what it's all about. We deserve more money. We deserve to be paid for the job we're doing. Senator Adams. I believe you've made your point in the two minutes. How do you vote? I deserve a raise. No, you don't. You probably deserve to be in jail. That's my, that's my gut sense. We'll, we'll see. A lot of folks have grave doubts about this guy. Do me a favor. Stay with us. News breaks every minute, every day. You need the app, the Newsmax app. Find it free on your smartphone store. Then watch us anytime, anywhere. Hey, there's uh, John F. Kennedy in Dallas on November 22nd, 1963. Next year is going to be the 60th anniversary of the assassination. And he's just uh, moments away from being shot. Now, a lot of people believe that it was Lee Harvey Oswald. Not everybody, of course. Um, the jury is literally, I guess, still out. Or the jury never really convened. There's Lee Harvey Oswald uh, a day or so before he was shot and killed. Pretty wild story. Well, take a look at this. There is a new book. It's called The Oswalds, an untold account of Marina and Lee. Uh, it's by our next guest, Paul Gregory, who actually knew both of them when he was a young student. Uh, Professor Gregory, welcome back to Newsmax. How are you? 
I'm fine freezing a little bit. Okay. Hey, so, um, Professor, first off, how did you come to know uh, Lee Harvey Oswald? Uh, Lee and Marina returned to Fort Worth, which is my hometown, in June of 1962. Uh, Lee uh, needed to find employment. He had hoped to get a job as a Russian translator or something having to do with his three years stay in, in the Soviet Union. Uh, my father, who is from Russia and a native speaker, uh, offered Russian language programs uh, as a public library. And as a consequence of this, Lee came to his office seeking a certification that he was fluent in Russian, which my father gave him. Huh. And before departing, uh, Lee uh, gave us the number of his brother, Robert, where he was staying. And that led to a visit by myself and uh, my father. And you were kind of fascinated, you and your dad. This is a guy who was just in Russia. Your dad was born in Russia. It was a way to find out what was going on in Russia. What was he like? You spent some time with him. Uh, what was this guy all about? That's a hard question to answer because Lee Harvey Oswald spent most of his time trying not to talk about himself, trying to be sort of invisible. Um, Outward impression, um, wiry, powerful, um, uh, a welder by profession, earning $1.25 an hour. Uh, I did see occasions where he did lose control of himself. So um, that's the best I can do in terms of um, a description. So do you think he did it? I was uh, picked up uh, the the morning after the assassination by the Secret Service, and they drove me to Oklahoma City. And on the way there, they asked me that question. And I said, uh, he did it. He did it alone. Uh, he was not someone who would enter into a conspiracy, either as a follower as or as a leader. Uh, so from the first hour on, uh, after the assassination, I had no problem. Um, I had no problem uh, thinking that Lee had done it and had done it alone. I want to show you uh, a clip of Lee Harvey Oswald in custody. Strangely, he was giving interviews and the press was all over the place. Uh, never would happen today, but he said something. And uh, I wonder, I wonder if it's true. Take a look. Back up, man. Come on, man. No, they're taking me in because of the fact that I lived in the Soviet Union. I'm just a patsy. I'm just a, I'm just a patsy, which, by the way, can mean different things to different people. But it's a person who is easily taken advantage of, especially by being cheated or blamed for something. Although... I also think that revealed a bit of sophistication on his part, and he knew what he was doing, which is being deceptive. What do you think of that moment? Well, this is, of course, the um, argument uh, that he did not plan it. Uh, he did not pull the trigger in reality. It was perhaps someone else, or it was perhaps the Cubans, the CIA, the Russians. Uh, who knows? I'd say the major contribution of my book is to explain that we grossly underestimate Lee Harvey Oswald. We underestimate him He was a, because he was a high school dropout. He worked for $1.25 an hour as a welder. Uh, but 
uh, and he was dyslexic and could not spell. So we base a lot of what we think about him and his capabilities to do an assassination based upon those characteristics. In reality, he was street smart. He had a high IQ. Uh, he was a serious student of Marx. So um, we do underestimate him, and it's sort of a snobbishness on our part huh. that causes us to uh, underestimate him. Hey, by the way, after uh, Kennedy is shot and killed, you mentioned before uh, the Secret Service, the FBI, they wanted to talk to you. Personally, was that a bit traumatic? I mean, uh, you were described as a known associate of Lee Harvey Oswald. That, that must, I don't, I don't imagine that felt very good. What was that like? Well, I was able to persuade them rather convincingly that I had no part in, in any assassination. Uh, it was a very traumatic experience for me. In fact, I was in shock for, let's say, the next six months. So uh, the answer is, yes, I was in shock. Well, it's a really fascinating story, and what a unique perspective. And we didn't talk about Marina, who figures prominently in this, who, by the way, is still alive. She lives in Texas, Marina Oswald. I believe she's remarried. And Anyway, Paul Gregory, we appreciate this. This is an important contribution, especially in the run-up to the 60th anniversary. Let's put the book cover up. Available wherever books are sold. The Oswalds, an untold account of Marina and Lee. Uh, Professor Paul Gregory, we thank you. Thank you. And we'll be right back. Well, obviously, this is a hideous scene. And it's happening all over the place. Strangely, terrifyingly, uh, drag queens insist. Some of them, some of them are great and just want to have fun as adults. But a lot of them apparently want to hang around children at school and read to them. It's obviously perverse. It makes no sense. And it's outraged people everywhere. Not just in red states, by the way, in blue states as well. This is a protest that got pretty intense outside of a New York City councilman's office. And later it went inside the councilman's office. Uh, the councilman himself, his name is Eric Botcher. And it seems to me as though he and uh, the media are overreacting, totally mischaracterizing the protesters and what actually happened. We're joined now by somebody who was there, Norman. He is a big problem with this kind of stuff. The drag queens in there with the kids. Norman, we're leaving out your last name because, let's face it, people are hassling everybody and we don't want you hassled. But thanks for being here. How are you? You're welcome. I'm very well, Greg. Um, shoot, hit me with what do you want to ask me about. Well, number one, what happened that, uh, at the protest? Okay. You were there. I was there at the protest on Monday. At Monday, I was invited uh, by some people, um, uh, the Guardians of Divinity. It's a small group, uh, offshoot of my anti-mandate uh, activity. Uh, we met uh, at Eric Bochert's office at first. Um, unfortunately, I was late to that one, but uh, um, I, I went to the second one, which was in front of his residence. Um, and uh, we went there. Uh, the people, uh, a lot of the people in the, uh, the neighbors and stuff were quite hostile to us. Um, they attacked uh, two of my friends, um, and uh, my friends defended themselves. Um, now, let me ask you this. The New York Times, and we'll go through the story in a moment, the headline seems to me totally fake news. 
They say you attacked the home of the councilman. The home. No. It was, right, the direct queen, uh, invade New York councilman's home. Look at that headline. Mm -hmm. And then I, even in the story, I read the story, you guys didn't even go in the building. You got, well, you guys didn't go into his house, certainly, his no. actual apartment. What happened there? Okay, it's an apartment building. Um, we, uh, we set up in front of, in front of his apartment building. Um, I was conscious. I usually, when, with the anti-mandate activity, I use a bullhorn, and uh, I left it purposely in the bag because I, I didn't want to disturb the neighbors to that degree. Um, we uh, um, shouted, save the children, protect the children. Um, some of the members of the group r wrote on the ground in chalk. Um, actually, one person wrote on the ground in chalk. I, me, personally, I, I don't do that kind of stuff. What did they write on the ground? Oh, groomer. Um, I, I think it was groomer or protect the children or something like that. All right, now, groomer. Groomer yeah. is a word. Now, here's what the New York Times says, that that word is somehow uh, an anti-gay slur, mm -hmm. which, from my perspective, it's not. You care to offer anything from your perspective? I mean, there's a group called Gays Against mm -hmm. Groomers. Okay. I see nothing pejorative about... It's nothing anti-gay. A groomer is a bad thing, no matter what their per, per, uh, orientation is, right? Right. The, 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 the members of my group are made up of all sorts of diverse um, ethnic groups, different ages, and also d different sexual proclivities. I mean, we have gay members in our group. Um, I, it, this is not about anything, anything to besmirch homosexuality or, or, or transgender or anything. This is simply to protect the children, to, to preserve the innocence of children. And, th th and that's what we're protesting. That, it totally makes sense. You got allies everywhere. Allies, you know, people come together. There are people who voted for Biden, Obama, Trump. They all see eye to eye on this one. I want to go to the New York Times and this guy, uh, this councilman, he says this. Uh, let's go to cutout five, if you don't mind, followed by cutout six. This idea that children are being victimized at Drag Queen Story Hour was an unhinged right-wing conspiracy theory, uh, Mr. Botcher said in an interview. Uh, cutout six. These people are hoping their tactics will silence us and intimidate us, he said. But unfortunately for them, it is going to have the opposite effect. Our resolve is even more strengthened now. Why are they so committed to this totally bizarre, unnecessary uh, having drag people read to children? I don't. I, I shouldn't be reading to children. I'm not qualified. I, I never took a course like that. I mean, wh why would they be so committed to this? First thing, they're 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 far left. They're they're far left people um, from the beginning. But I, but I also believe that uh, follow the money. Okay. Uh. This is this is this is this is this is bigger than this man wanting drag queen story hour. This is this is being financed by the Antifa, who who was their muscle. They're being they're being financed by George Soros. I totally buy it. I totally buy. It. I'd love to see the evidence. I'm sure. I mean, because when something doesn't make sense, and this doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. Money is involved, so we got to check that out. We appreciate you so much, Norman. I'm glad you went and uh, stay in touch. Come back soon. I will. Got a lot to say about a lot of things and a very unique perspective. Thank you, sir, and we'll be right back. Thank you, Greg.
we don't do this. This seems to me illegal almost. Look at Abraham Lincoln, what he said in the Gettysburg Address. He talked about a government of the people, by the people, for the people. And now we're building trails in Georgia for Michelle Obama. <laughs> government of the government, by the government, for the government. I want to run this all by Craig Shirley, our favorite presidential historian. Craig, I'm sorry, but uh, this is insanity. It's been getting yes. fatter and fatter and fatter, but this, they've really jumped the shark, as they say. What do you make of this? Uh, you know, Greg, it, it's in the context of history, I think it's something really interesting. The Republican Party over the years has gone through periods of subdividing itself uh, with, with uh, Eisenhower versus Taft and Nixon versus Lodge and Goldwater versus Rockefeller, especially in 1964. And again, in 1976 with Reagan versus Ford, um, and we've seen it down through the ages, and I think now we're seeing once again the Republican Party is going to subdivide itself, and it's going to the dominant wing is going to become, you know, uh, in control of the party, or it's going to uh, walk away. You know, over the years we've seen the party uh, drive away liberal Democrats, liberal Republicans, and attract conservative Democrats, and we may be seeing that uh, process again. There's nothing but disgust uh, for this bill uh, and, and other actions on the part of conservatives uh, everywhere across the country. And it may lead to, it's gonna certainly lead to a lot of primary challenges, and it's gonna lead to a reorientation and a real examination of the Republican Party. What does this stand for? Yeah. Is it Me Tooism? Yeah. Is it Me Tooism? Uh, we're just we're just small D Democrats, or do we really stand for something? That is in the in the context of history. I think that's what we're going to see happen. Pretty interesting. I mean, let's face it though, it's liberals and the yeah. Democrats who are the real drivers of this 1.7 trillion dollar yeah. uh, monstrosity. Exactly. And by what you just described, Republicans are ultimately the ones who are going to pay the price. And if they're not standing up, can I show you something else? Take a look at this. Sure. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? I think that's, uh, you tell me, is that in the Constitution or in the Declaration of Independence? The, the Declaration. Declaration of Independence. I want to show you something else. Right. I want to show you these three buildings, <laughs> part of a massive government complex. This is the IRS uh, corporate headquarters, they call it, in um, the suburban Washington, D.C. in Maryland. Does that look like it's devoted to the life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness no. of anybody. It looks like, yeah, looks like a jail. Yeah, so exactly. But this is in the context, again, of history. Uh, bureaucracies eventually uh, become corrupt. Uh, they eventually lead to uh, corruption and the uh, diminution of personal freedoms. That's what happens with almost all bureaucracies. And whether it's corporate or governmental. And we're seeing that again with the, with the growth of the IRS and the growth of uh, government, with the growth of various agencies, the Pentagon, is the growth of corruption and the diminution of personal freedoms. All right. How are we going to compete against um, the Russians and, more importantly, the Chinese? I mean, that government is big and getting bigger. I know we need, we need a CIA. We need, I guess, an FBI, not this FBI. I don't know. I feel like... I feel like we're losing I think, it. I, I don't. Well, first of all, we defeat uh, the the idea of Russia and the idea of China with a better idea. The ideas are our ideas are better than their ideas. That's number one. And we have to articulate our ideas, our ideas, and spread them like what we're doing right now. 
but also is that um, uh, I lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. No, I know. I'm sorry. It's a philosophical question almost. And, uh, you know, yeah, our ideas are better than their ideas. But you know what? Everybody seems to be just stuck on their cell phones looking at pictures of uh, whatever. I don't know, man. I uh, to be continued, Craig. Well, what are you doing I, I for how? What are you? Civiliz I think that's part of civilization, though. Is that, is that part of civilization? Is that if you look in the context again of history, is that we've seen a certain part of of, of society drive itself down, while another part of society yeah. drives itself up? It, it happens. It happens inevitably all every time. Well, and in society, it has to reinvent itself. I know. Well, I, I, the decline of America. I hate to think that it's here. I think we can stave it off for a long time, but it's going to take a lot of work and a lot of luck. It, Thank it, you. There's one point I want to make, Greg. Please, is that most republics do not survive their third century. Greece, France, Great Britain. Uh, and now the United States, is that we may be looking at the end of the United States in the next 20 or 30 years. The United States as we know it, as we know it. Ay, ay, ay. I thought you were going to say we were going to de defy the odds, break the trend. We just might. We just might. Craig Shirley, we appreciate it. Have a great Christmas. We'll be right back. Or the So I have a book, Justice for All, by me, Greg Kelly. It's a critique on this madness that is undermining law enforcement. Also talks about how Barack Obama designed the whole thing. Available wherever books are sold. Greg Kelly, Justice for All. I appreciate it so much, and I'll see you next year.